The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What beautiful scenery there, huh? I was telling the first service, I was thinking earlier this, this week, why don't, since we're doing Psalm 23 and it's kind of that outdoorsy theme, why don't we have an outdoor service? I am so glad. You are so glad, right? That I didn't mention the thing. I would have been shot down anyway. But um, we've been spending time in the book of Psalms, specifically Psalm 23. And Psalms is one of those books that is like the most beloved of the Old Testament. It's the most well-known. People know um, where their favorite Psalms are. They're a collection, uh, Psalms is a collection of, of songs and prayers. And I think we can connect with it. David wrote many of them, but there are others who wrote too. And we can connect with them in, in, in two ways. One, with the truths that they express about God, because we need to hear those. But also in Psalms, you see the psalmist writing to God about what's going on in their life. And boy, can we relate to how raw their emotion is and what they're saying. And so it's popular. And we've been in Psalm 23. Each week we've been taking one verse at a time and we're gonna continue that today. We're gonna be in the third verse this morning. And so you need a Bible in your hand if you don't have one. And ushers, if you would at this time bring Bibles down. If you don't have one, just signal to them. They will give you a Bible. It is certainly yours to keep if you don't have one. If you know somebody that does not have a Bible, please give that to them. But over the past few weeks, you know, David uses this analogy of a, a shepherd and a sheep. And we realize we're the, we're the sheep, we're the ones that tend to wander. And God is the shepherd. And last week we, we were taught, you know, that God is the one who brings rest and peace and, and restores our soul, which really needs that rest in his peace. And this week, we're going to look at how God provides direction and leadership in our life. Let's look at verse 3 as we get started. It reads, he guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. This is one sentence and 11 words in translated in English here. We would think, well, maybe there's just one truth, but it is packed with truth. And we're going to look at three truths that come out of this one scripture this morning. And hopefully you hear them and you start to have your life depend on these truths. As you heard the words being read about Psalm 23 as we got started. For some of you, you heard them, but there was more going on inside. Maybe a, a different set of words and expressions that were going on inside. Maybe you came in this morning and you just, you heard them, but you hear something different because of what's going on. Maybe you have your own Psalm 23. Maybe these words kind of resonate with a few of you. I'm on my own. 
No one looks out for me or protects me. I experience a continual sense of need, and nothing's quite right. I'm always restless. I'm easily frustrated and often disappointed. It's a jungle out there, and I'm feeling overwhelmed. Sometimes it's a desert, and I'm thirsty as can be. My soul feels broken. It's twisted. It's stuck. Why don't things ever really work out? I'm haunted by emptiness and futility. I fear big hurt and rejection and loss, and I spend my life trying to protect myself, but yet bad things can still happen. I find no lasting comfort. I'm alone. I seem to face everything alone. Are my friends really my friends? Or do people use me for their own ends? I can't really trust anyone. Maybe nobody has my back. No one's really for me except me. And sometimes I'm so much about me, sometimes it's sickening. I belong to no one except myself, and my cup seems never quite full enough. When will I experience change? I don't know, maybe that's your psalm, that's your song right now in your situation, your circumstance in life. And I just want to start as we look at this. You have to ask this question, I have to ask this question. Who is at the center of our story? Who's at the center of our song, our hymn, our prayer? Because that's what we're looking at is David's words. And for David, who was at the center of the story was the shepherd. The shepherd was right in the middle. It sounds trivial, sounds like, why are you even bringing that up, Rob? I know that. But it's important for us to know who is following who. This idea of sheep and a shepherd, sheep are completely dependent on the shepherd, completely. They would not survive without the shepherd. They can wander, they can be staring at their pen. It is in sight but they will not find it without the help of the shepherd. This relationship of the shepherd and the sheep, it's so close that even today, Middle Eastern shepherds, they can come to a flock, flocks. Think of a couple shepherds coming. And their flocks have like intermingled and they're there either getting water or they're just in one large herd or flock just by one shepherd going and calling and just start talking, calling his sheep to them, those sheep know the shepherd's voice and will follow. That's how close the relationship is. And so when we approach Psalm 23, you think the shepherd, it seems mystical, not really real. It, this shepherd is real, can be felt and known. Matter of fact, the fullness of Psalm 23 will not take root in you until you see the shepherd in the flesh for who he really is. First week we looked at, the Lord is my shepherd, the Lord. We looked at the name of God, Yahweh, I am who I am. And then we see Jesus come to earth and in the New Testament, he uses God's name. He says, I am. He uses God's name to refer to himself. And what's beautiful about scripture is these themes go from the Old to the New Testament. So this idea of a shepherd and a sheep, we see Jesus also refer to himself as the good shepherd. In John chapter 10, verse 14, he said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just a couple verses 
earlier, he says, I open the gate for them. They listen to my voice. I call them out and they follow. So for Jesus, he's very clear about who this shepherd is. This shepherd is him. It is Christ. And as we look through Psalms, we find that the God who is there is now disclosed to us in Jesus Christ, the shepherd in the flesh. And it's so important to see. If you're looking for who is it, it's him, and he calls you to follow him. He says, I am to be the leader, and you are to follow me. You look at the psalm, and you see, try to think of Jesus' life. He lived what he's calling us to do in that psalm. He lived following the call of God the Father. And now Jesus calls us to follow him. But he has done what he's calling us to do already. Many times we think that we have the right way, the, the right path in life. And we don't follow. We, we kind of say, Jesus, follow me to what I want to do. Donnie kind of talked about it a little bit the first week about we want to do what we want to do and you sprinkle a little Jesus on your life. That's not what being a Christ follower is all about. And sometimes we don't even realize that we're doing this. But every time that we make a decision that's in opposition to what Christ calls us to do and how we want to live our own way, it's just saying, you know, we're saying, God, follow me with what I want to do in my life. And so I think we've got to ask ourselves the question, no matter what you're doing, we have so many people here, different things, whether you own a business, whether you're an employee and how you're working, whether you're in, in a relationship, whether you're married and you're trying to raise kids, you simply have to say, who's following who? Am I following Jesus or do I have it the other way around? Because being a Christian, being a Christ follower is about Jesus leading and us following. And whenever, look, look at the New Testament, when Jesus calls people or when people want to have a relationship with him, he typically says, follow me. It's just that right there, the beauty of when he says, follow me, you think sheep shepherd kind of thing. Follow me, he says. And the Bible's full of people who want to follow Jesus, but on their own terms. They want to redefine the relationship. And Jesus didn't like that very much. One example here is in Matthew 8, verse 19. We read, the, the teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Now, Jesus could sense that this guy probably didn't estimate the cost. He didn't fully understand what it means to follow him because there was something else going on inside. He had kind of a heart issue. And in the life of Jesus, if you like control in your life, oh boy, following Jesus. Think about the, you know, the gospel accounts. One minute he's feeding 5,000, right? Next minute he's in a boat. Next minute he's alone praying. Next minute he's trying to escape people who are trying to kill him. And it's just one thing after another. And for somebody who wants a life of control, it's going to be an adventure for them. And what's confusing is most of the time Jesus will say, follow me. 
but sometimes he says no to those that want to follow him, and he puts kind of an obstacle up for them. And I would think that as a, a new rabbi, a new teacher, he would say, come on, I'll take whoever I can get. I want to build a following so everybody can see the, the largeness of those that are following me. But what we're going to see is he's very concerned with why we want to follow him. Why is it that we want that relationship? But we see one of these obstacles where Jesus puts up an obstacle in Matthew 8, just in verse 21. It says, another disciple said to him, Lord, let, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. I mean, all this guy wanted to do was take care of a family issue, right? And you're thinking, Jesus, we're only talking a brief delay, probably three days, and, and he can commit to you wherever you're going. A couple things here. One, the Jewish burial, the, the, the ceremonies and the burials, it wasn't a three-day affair. There were rituals and, and ceremonies that were done right up front, and the body was buried. But the eldest son was called one year later to go and get the skeletal remains and bring them to another site. So this idea of just give me three days and I'll follow you, different time, different culture. But some scholars have said, well, it's, it may be that the guy, the father may not have even died yet and that the son simply wants to go and secure his inheritance. Now, either way you look at it, the guy is basically saying, Jesus, I will follow you, but first, let me go take, a take care of this. Then I will follow you. But Jesus, that's not what he wants to hear. And you say, doesn't the Bible say that you are to honor your father and mother, right? This seems strange. It seems harsh. Well, in, in a way that only God could do, Jesus does uphold this call to honor your father and mother, but he also is saying here, and he is insisting that the call to follow him is at a higher priority than anything else. And that's what he's trying to convey here. And he says, it's not only important, it is urgent. I'm going to be leading. I want you to follow. And if you're like me, I'm, I'm like, where are we going? Right? Where, where are we going? Well, one thing you can know for sure is that Jesus does have a path for you. But whether you're a follower of Christ or not, every one of us has some journey, some path that we are walking. It's human existence. We do not stand still. It's not about some static life. Our life is dynamic for every one of us. We are making decisions every day. There's one decision made after another. And they're not made in a vacuum. It's not like this decision doesn't affect this decision. They all add up and they contribute to the, some pattern in our life. And many times we can't see that. We don't see what's going on until you get down the road sometimes and you can look back and you can see, ah, I see frustration, I see hurt from the path that I've been on. But many times we don't see it. 
But the truth in this verse that David's talking about, the second truth is, is that Jesus shows me the right pathway. Jesus shows me the right pathway. He guides me along the right path for his namesake. So he shows me these things. And if, again, if you're like me, the human side of us says, okay, what do I got to do? Show me what I need to do because I, I want to know how things are going to change here because I want my, my family to change. I want my relationship status to change. I want my finances to change. So what do I need to do? Because I'll make it happen. We're good doers, really good doers, but it doesn't work that way. What Jesus is getting at or what Jesus is to have in our, our life, that leadership role is we're first to follow. And in the process of following, then we experience those right paths. Many times as Christ followers, we're like, what is the Lord's will in this situation? What is the Lord's will for me right here? I want to do the right thing. That's not bad, but he is more concerned about you drawing close to him. He has promised that he will lead his people in a right way. He has promised that. So a question I got to ask myself and you got to ask, who's messed up their life more? Has God messed up your life or have you messed up your life more? A friend of mine said, there's one person that I trust the most, but they've let me down many times. And you know exactly what that is. His answer was, it's me. A lot of times we're the ones that get things out of whack. I don't think we have a guidance problem. <laughs> it's not that Jesus can't guide us in the right way. We have a closeness problem in our lives. And it's in the process of drawing close to him that we experience the change. And we experience and he shows us the path of righteousness. That's what he's talking about. Have you seen the movie Karate Kid? Anybody seen that? Yeah. Some of you, you saw the 2010 version. I'm old enough, no hair. 1984 is when it, it first came out. <laughs> Some of you are like, ah. But the, Daniel was a 12-year-old boy who wanted to learn real kung fu. That's what he wanted to do. So they, they connected him with the master who would show him this. His name was Miyagi. And so Daniel was set on spending time with him, but he found himself having, the master Miyagi was having him at one point put on a coat, put the coat on a hanger, drop the coat, pick up the coat, put on the coat, drop, that repeated pattern. He found himself, and this is the famous line, wax on, wax off, right? He's out there buffing a car. This whole time he's being obedient, but he's where is this getting me? I feel like I'm getting nowhere. He had him painting fences. And all of a sudden, and it kind of snuck up on him, he realized as he got through this that he learned how to do Kung Fu in the process of doing all of those things. And that's what Jesus calls us to do as we lead to rest that he's going to bring us to a place where he will show us those right paths. It's the same for us. And sometimes we don't even know it. 
but the change happens and it starts to happen from the inside out and it's visible. Now all of this, these two truths that we look at, they're leading us or, or they are for a purpose. There's a reason why he's leading us and we're to follow and, and in right paths. And the reason is, and you say, well, isn't it because you know, kind of for me, for my, my benefit to, to live that kind of holy, um, right life. That's, yes, but it's secondary. Because look at the verse. Again, verse 3. He guides me along the right path for his namesake. For him. Whoa. Many times we kind of have this view of God or this mystical view that if I do, Lord, what you're teaching me to do, if I connect with the people that you and the church body that I'm in, if I connect with those folks and I pray a certain way, then all of a sudden my marriage will be right. I'll be led to Mr. or Mrs. Right and my pain will go away and I'll be happier. Now listen, I want all of those things. I know you, but first and foremost, Jesus does guide us for our benefit, but that's secondary. Primarily, it is for his namesake. It is for him. Our goal, our destination in life, and I like that this idea of a path for us, it may seem foreign, but for them, who the feet, the transportation, where their feet, this idea of a path, it's common, a metaphor for them. The destination for you and I is to lift up the name of Jesus. That may, that may seem strange. You may struggle with the fact that, wait a minute, I typically don't like people who draw attention to themselves and they're all about themselves. But it's not, God isn't calling attention. God isn't for God because he's got some character flaw or some deficiency in his character, or, or he's insecure about himself? No. Namesake is about maintaining your integrity and, and who you are and represent. In the, the, the Jewish culture, name meant everything about you. It spoke all about you as a person. It is why they would not utter the word Yahweh, use God's name, because of what it meant and all that the sacredness that went with that namesake. The fact that God is for his own self means that he is going to guide us in a way that upholds his holiness. That is all about faithfulness and reconciliation and righteousness. This idea of a namesake doesn't just come here. You can look in Psalm 106 verse 7. We read, when our ancestors were in Egypt, they gave no thought to your miracles. They did not remember your many kindnesses, and they rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. Yet he, God, saved them for his namesake to make his mighty power known. You see, it's through his namesake that his power was known, that he would be a beacon of power and might and that the world would know that he is the savior of the world. This idea of name and the name of Christ. Again, go to the New Testament. Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians 
chapter 5. He says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. You see, we're to follow for his namesake, to be an ambassador for him. Ambassador, simple definition, highest ranking official who is, is sent from one country to another to represent fully that country. So as Christ followers, we're not here to represent ourselves. First and foremost, we are to represent Christ. We are to speak and act in the name of Christ. We're to be Christ-like. We're to be that light for others. God being God is so he's for perfect love. He's for redemption and reconciliation. He's for taking our messy lives and bringing order to them and, and bring unity and reconciling us to him and us to others. You see, my kingdom, the Rob kingdom, your kingdom, isn't worth building, but his is. It doesn't mean you say, wow, that's a downer. I, you know, am I, does that mean I think, think less of myself? You know, have low, no, a friend reminded me this past Friday, it's not that we think less of ourselves. It's that we think of ourselves less. Look at John 3.30. That's what it conveys. Our lives are to make much of Jesus. That's what this is about. That's hard. The whole idea of take the first truth, leading. That's hard because I want control. You know, and then this idea of for his name's sake. But wait, I have hopes and dreams and expectations. And how do I know that if I don't do it, I don't control it, that it will be done. And so releasing that, that's hard. Jesus says in Mark 8, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. You see, the Christian life is not about trying more. It's about dying more. It's not about trying more. It's about dying more. And being a Christ follower, being a Christian, isn't something you can do on your own. It's about releasing that control. Well, first, it's about believing that he is who he is. And, and, and when you get to that point, it's releasing. And it, there's no formula to how you get there, but it's believing and releasing your life to him. That process of dying to self. 1982, I was... Um, high school for me. I was taking my lifeguarding exam. I lived out on Cape Cod for the summers, lived in Massachusetts, grew up in Massachusetts, never spent a summer in my hometown because dad and mom were teachers. And so we headed to the campground and stayed there all summer and took swimming lessons. Well, that year, 1982, I took my lifeguarding exam. And the way they do it there, it's live rescues. Uh, well, they're simulated live rescues. <laughs> so um, that day, there were two of us getting tested. So I was one, uh, uh, my friend was the other. So I was the first actor. So I went out, swam out about 100 yards, and that day was very wavy. And so what was supposed to be a simulated rescue 
turned it to be a live rescue because somewhere along the line, I was doing the, the, the acting, and I'm sure the guy taking his lifeguarding test was like, wow, that's so real. I'm never going to be able to act like that for him. But somewhere in the thrashing, I took in a, a large amount of water and started gagging and choking and going under and taking more water and dipping. So I'm doing everything that he should be looking for. And I really started drowning. And he came, and I remember he, he came up to me. He did what he was trained to do. He did his approach. He got me in the lock. But I remember very clearly what I was doing at that time. I fought him with every ounce of energy I had. Didn't make sense because he was going to save me, right? But I fought him hard. And he kept saying, I know what you need. You just got to release control to me. And I kept fighting and pulling away. He said, no, relax. He had some other techniques. He would dip my head in the water so that I, could, <laughs> I couldn't, I was getting to the end of myself. But I fought hard because there was fear in me that I knew what I needed. And I, if I didn't do it, but he said, trust me. And all of a sudden, I started doing some of the things he was saying. At the same time, I was fearing the worst, but I was started doing them. And I realized no sooner did I get in the rhythm of doing that, that he had me up on shore and brought me to safety. And it came through a process of me releasing myself. I actually felt my body draw close to him. No longer was it pulling away. That's what the Christian life is about. It's about drawing close to Jesus. We'll have our deepest fears and anxieties. All of them are there. Will he provide? Will we be fulfilled? All those things. But the weirdest thing is when you start that process of releasing them to him. He has this way of just bringing, you know, satisfying those deepest longings and meeting your real needs. But it comes by just saying, I'm yours. And that's our prayer for you, for our staff today as we talk through this message is that you allow him to lead. Because what you're going to find when you do that, you're going to see somebody whose ability you can trust. You're going to see perfect love. You're going to be okay with releasing. Oh, you'll grab back. But he'll call you to release it again. And in that process you'll see the one who deserves your worship. And our prayer is that, you, that he will, and I know this will happen, he will show you the right paths. Let's pray. Father, I'm just thankful that um, this isn't about me. It isn't about us. It is about you, and you know exactly what we need. And first and foremost, we need a savior. Thank you for your son. We celebrated that in communion. But you, you, you saved us, yes, we've got the, the eternal life, but we need to be saved each and every day so that those decisions become your will being lived out through us. And so help us to start to live more fully for you in the here and now. And I pray that for every one of us. Shine your light in our heart. For those that are Christ followers, it's probably a piece that's still being held on to. And for others, maybe it's the whole heart, but we pray that we each take that step of faith, not toward the church, not toward the person, but toward the person of Jesus Christ, your son, who we know will perfectly lead. 
and we give him the, the glory and honor. Thank you. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.